Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Nathan Ritterbush was born in 1976 in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Since graduating from the Maryland Institute College of Art in 1999, his work has been shown extensively in galleries throughout the United States and Europe. Recent solo exhibitions include Sue Rabbit's 57 West 57 Arts in New York, Gallery Burkhard Elkman in Dusseldorf, Germany, the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, Nebraska, and Rare Gallery in New York. He's held residencies at Datapost in Berlin, in Germany, in 2011, the Bemis Art Center for Contemporary Arts in 2010, and future projects in Prague and the Czech Republic in 2008. Nathan currently divides his time between New York and Connecticut. His solo show, Old Enough to Be My Mother, is now up at Castor Gallery on Manhattan's Lower East Side. I met up with Nathan there, and we spoke about growing up in Pennsylvania, distortion in music and painting, narrative and representation, and much more. Here's our conversation. So you're from or from Pennsylvania? Yeah, yeah, Harrisburg area. Is Harrisburg. Where I grew up. Yeah. Which is, I mean, the capital, but it's pretty mellow, right? It's not that big of a. Yeah, no, it's very small, very small. Like a suburban part or the city part? Definitely the suburbs. The city is sort of the capital, and it, when I was there, it was you know, kind of bombed out. Yeah, it's yeah. a little, not rough around the edges. Oh, but it's definitely rough. It's it's, it's unpolished. <laughs> That's that's a, a kind way. To They're passing it. laws there. That's their, you know. Yeah, it's all they, it's yeah. They, people, the city was just a place to drive in and drive out of. I don't know. It didn't have any kind of um, real cultural anchors or anything. There's a like a state museum there that is good for. I actually I'm just remembering I, um, to describe the character of downtown Harrisburg. We went on a field trip my senior year and I got a knife pulled on me. And, and like jabbed at me and punched in the face by a couple of Harrisburg City Schools kids. Yeah. So it was... It was rough. It, rough and tumble. It wasn't supposed to be that rough. It was just bad timing, <laughs> I think. But it happened. It's the only place I ever had a knife pulled on me. And I lived in Baltimore for many years. So I, I don't know what to say. It's funny. I grew up, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh and... I had so many more run-ins mm-hmm. and got jumped there. In New York, never, not once. Yeah. You know, and when I first moved to the city, you know, it wasn't like sure. it is now. Sure, There were areas where yeah. you would be. Even Williamsburg you know, back then. Yeah, I had a couple friends who got, you know, mugged in Williamsburg and Bushwick. Yep, yep, I yep. never had it happen, but in Pittsburgh, I got jumped a couple times and I got mugged and, you know. Wow. wow. So I've always felt like New York is, you know, it's not a big... There's oh, no worry. I totally agree. Um, although I'm just remembering I had an ex-girlfriend get a gun pulled on her in Williamsburg in the early 2000s. But, um, yeah, we, I was in Baltimore, and uh, I definitely saw some some pretty shady stuff. Um, was this a, when you were at Micah? Correct, yeah. And Baltimore I had, has got some, some that, edge. For sure, for sure. 
And uh, I always just rode a skateboard around, and it was my, my sort of thinking was just don't be the slowest antelope, you know? Right. Just keep moving. But, um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely saw, I had, a, I had two neighbors on my street murdered um, on se- separate occasions. And, uh, In Baltimore? It, yeah. Were they local people, or were they... One was a, uh, a Vietnam vet with a serious drinking problem who would, um, he was a paratrooper, and he would get really drunk and um, reenact parachute jumps off the sidewalk. Jeez. And he called me soldier and all this business. But anyway, one day he went drinking with the wrong person and woke up with a knife in his back. And then on another occasion, um, this, this uh, married couple... It was a stabbing as well, and uh, I used to see them in the mornings praying towards their mandala, and I went out to work one morning, and I used to be, I have to be at work at like six or something, and it, there was blood all over the, the sidewalk, and you could actually see where um, they had run out onto the street and then like run ringing bells, and then oh, the, the blood just stopped. And it's, you can't believe it. That's rough. Yeah. Well, so well, what was the, the area, what was the town called where you grew up outside Harrisburg? Uh, or was Sus- it Harrisburg proper? It was called Susquehanna Township, and it's just one of the suburbs outside of the city. Uh, not yeah. as rough as Baltimore? No, no, <laughs> no, no, definitely not. No, it wasn't rough at all. It was fine. So how did you, in school, how did you get into art? Oh, good question. Um, you know, I just kind of naturally gravitated towards it, I guess. When I was a kid, I had a, a lot of interest in it, and then I kind of got more... It got sidetracked. I did play a bunch of soccer, and the kind of athletic component got a little more prioritized. But um, yeah, then I got back into high school, and um, or maybe even late middle school, and uh, it had always been there sort of latently, and I got a better art teacher, and, and I just sort of gravitated towards it. Mm-hmm. Did you ever go to Philly to see work, art? They go to the museums and stuff. It's not that far, right? Yeah, no, it's not far at all when you think about it. It's like it, 20 minutes? No, more like 90. Oh, it, really? It's that far? Yeah, yeah. I should know that. <laughs> I should know these uh, things. I mean, 90 minutes by car. Eastern it, Pennsylvania, it's funny how different it is than what, you know, it's far oh, away. Oh, yeah, for sure. When people drive across Pennsylvania, they're like, wow, that was a long state. It's like six hours, I yeah. think, probably. A little over, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's big. So did you, did you ever make those Philly trips? Um, I did, but... Later, um, I didn't. I didn't grow up with a, a real emphasis on art. My parents were uh, certainly open-minded, and, and but they didn't come from a, a heavy art background. Yeah. So it just. I don't think it was something that could be really considered. But when you were in high school, high school you, we went down there. Into, yeah. Um, but did you get more into artwork too? Did you have like a teacher that championed you, or Mr. Ribick, Mr. Mr. Robert Ribick, rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was nice. He was not nice. He was very stern, but I liked that. Mm-hmm. He, he sort of, he thought of art like an athletic event and judged everything on sort of a, a strict criteria the way you would dive in or something. Right. Practice. Technique. Yeah. yeah there were, he, he literally had like six categories. Difficulty of task. I don't even recall what they were, but you would, they, you would be evaluated within the context of the assignment under these four or five headers. and That's how it would go. Yeah. That's funny, though, because I feel like a lot of art teachers are a little more loosey-goosey, and that's why students take to them. Yeah, yeah. But we, you had someone who was a little more of a straight-laced... Yeah, he was like kind of... the book. Uh, more of the military variety, if, right. that's, if that's possible. But then I did... He, he retired, and um, there was another teacher who was great, and she... Um, 
took me to like life drawing classes and all this and so I got some I got a little bit of a head start in that direction and that was really that, that probably that was an opportunity to kind of see more what it would be like to to be a kind of a, in the company of serious artists I guess at least on a local um, level uh, but that that sort of solidified my my thinking a little bit in terms of going to art school I guess yeah well life drawing at an early age is like a game changer yeah it's because it's so you know real <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean yeah it's 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 a lot of information but the nice thing about this too it, it was just at the Harrisburg area art association or something but um it had this group of of like kind of local and older artists I mean people from their 30s 40s 50s and they would get there they would meet there on Thursdays and just draw and they, it was like a real community there mm-hmm. um, of this like 12 people or at least it seemed so to me it was very different from the kind of circles one would sort of run in high school so yeah so that was nice yeah but I mean I didn't I, I think some people feel like they they had it this a career path of one type or another kind of figured out I, it was I had the interest but it it was also a little bit of a, I mean, I was kind of lazy. I wasn't lazy, but I was, I was unfocused. Mm-hmm. Or I just wanted to, I wanted to get to college so I could just, just be out and about and you know, right. be free. Meeting new people. Yeah. I wanted doing to your thing. Drink beer and meet girls and, and yeah. see a city. You know, cities, cities were such different places in the sense that you didn't have the kind of access to information that you do now. Mm-hmm. And back then it was such a privileged and, and sort of regional thing, you know, to go to those you go to those special stores, those record stores, those bookstores, all that stuff. Yeah, the record store was such a huge thing, right? When we were younger. Big time. Big because time. you couldn't get that music anywhere no. else. And then and if it was a good record shop, you were getting stuff that you couldn't hear in the big chains, you know. For sure, for sure. And you, you didn't, it was also, the, those people had such privileged information themselves, you know, you'd talk to these people. Mm-hmm. What, was you, your, uh, what was the cassette collection like in high school? Uh, I had a really, really prized um, Jane's Addiction, a couple of prized Jane's Addiction bootlegs that I, I still have managed to keep on cassette. But I was, I was really into Jane's Addiction and Sonic Youth for whatever that meant. It was the Gerhard Richter and the uh, Raymond yeah, Pettibone you know, influence. I, 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 I never. It took me till like sophomore year of, of art school to realize that that was a Gerhard Richter. Pick. Isn't it funny? Yeah, like, I, you wouldn't put two and two together. No, and I didn't know the Mike Kelly and all that. I did know the. I mean, I, I didn't. I knew I loved all their album covers, but I didn't know why. Right. I didn't, I didn't recognize where they were drawing them from. But I feel like the the Pettibone and Mike Kelly makes more sense with Sonic Youth. Gerhard sure. Richter, it's an interesting combination. Yeah. It was the candle. Was the candle one the only one he did a cover for? That I know of. Yeah. I forget the name of that record. That's Daydream Nation. Okay. Man, that's a good record. Arguably the best, yeah. Those, those three, uh, Daydream Nation and uh, Evil and Sister, those, those are the ones that I would go back to. Evil is the one with the Pettibone cover, right? Uh, Kern. Okay. That's the lung leg. Right, right, right. With her, like, screaming up from below. It's like yeah. Some East Village 7. I never listen to Sonic Youth. It's weird. Great music. Never, yeah. never listen to it. I don't return very often, but I, 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 it stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I had a big, um, I was really, around that time, I was really into Stone Roses, remember mm, them? Yeah. And they had all this fake Jackson Pollock, it was the guy in the band made those Jackson Pollock paintings. Oh, really? But it was so arty looking, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, yeah. clearly, these guys were, every record had a painting of his on it. Ah. And uh, you just unconsciously link music and art in a way, you know? Big time. I certainly do. I certainly do. It had such a big effect. I don't know if it's like that anymore. With cover art, if it has that big of a kind of, you know, if it carries the weight that it used to. I doubt it, but. Yeah. Um, but we have video, you have everything online. There's so much supplement it. Yeah. yeah. It's just different now. It's like I remember um, uh, some. Who was the guy that did that MTV music show? Remember that, like, uh, that little. Kurt Loder. Remember Kurt Loder yeah. at all? I well, he was the news guy, right? Right. Yeah. Right. He was like the reasonable one. But I remember him lamenting that you couldn't. <laughs> Uh, he didn't like CDs because you couldn't roll a joint on the cover the way you could a, a record. <laughs> Which is very utilitarian, very yeah, practical. I, I, was, I was so excited that someone acknowledged that pot existed. But, <laughs> I mean, to sit here and complain that recover art, it's like that same conversation, yeah. you know. And I, something else comes up, and, and different things are meaningful for people now. Right. It's just the time. Like, I remember staying up for 120 minutes. Oh, dude, remember? totally. I, 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 would, I would set the VCR in the basement for that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have the VCR. I just had to wait. <laughs> and the kind of videos I wanted to see, they were always last. Like, oh. it was like Beck's Loser and stuff like that would be first. Yeah, And yeah. then, like, Slow Dive or Ride or, or oh, bands like that yeah. would be at the very end. Ride, yeah. And I just remember trying to stay awake to yeah. catch it. You know? Yeah. I definitely didn't stay awake for it. I just... I just yeah, but they you remember Swerve Driver and bands like that? Dude, I, I saw Swerve Driver live um, in Baltimore at this place called Hammerjacks. Yeah. And they were playing with some metal band and they we I actually met them because they were like just walking around. Oh yeah, they're totally you know I don't know, for when you're I guess when you were around when they were doing their thing, they were indie, but they were kind of big a big deal, you know. Or there was kind of an allure to them. They had like this mystique. Yeah. But now, like I saw them in New Haven years after, you mm. know, and they were just hanging out in front. Mm-hmm. So I think the guy's name's Adam, the guy with the dreads. I was talking to him, you yeah. know, just like hanging out. Cool. I keep waiting for, and I think there's a couple bands out now, but I keep waiting for shoegazing, like that music to come back. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got the My Bloody Valentine thing. I mean, that happened again, didn't it? Like they. Yeah, they reunited yeah. and played some shows. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, that that time will come as soon yeah. as there's money on the table. You know? It's gonna be weird though when it loops around. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> when it comes around in the second wave. Yeah. So, um, so what made you apply to Micah? Did you go straight to to Micah? Yeah, I, I applied to like just two places, just Micah and this place, uh, this college called Kutztown, which was a state university oh, yeah. that was supposed to have like the best art program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to Micah, and I was like, you know, it's in a city. It's mm-hmm. awesome. The facilities are you know, a million times better. And, uh, you know, they weren't the, they weren't stupid. They had attractive students, um, as your guide and they, yeah. they showed you the cool housing and it, it was, it was a no brainer, you know, if you it must got have been exciting though. Yeah. It, it probably had everything you wanted that you weren't getting. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> yeah. Baltimore was, a you know, I thought it seemed massive and it was, it was great. It was, it was a really fun time. So what's what's the early work looking like? Uh, it was really direct. It was, um, you know, I, I was very 
um, satisfied just to be learning how to draw and just, just to observational drawing, learning how to paint. I actually went there with the intention of being a photographer. I had a little bit of a, um, there was a little bit of a photography, a black and white photography program in my high school. The kind where you, you know, take the pictures with the film and develop it with mm -hmm. the enlarger and all that. Right. Um, so I thought that was where I wanted to go with it. But then um, I took painting and um, that, that was the direction it went. Um, well, as soon as you started, you just caught the bug for it? Or did it take a, take a bit? Yeah, I don't know. Was um, it classes that got you into it? Or you just started? Absolutely. No, I had, yeah. no I, had, I had made like one oil painting before I got there. But um, it just became, I think all that time in the dark room was very unattractive. Time around chemicals. Um, I just, it, it's kind of limiting. But, it, but I, always, I always based a lot of my work off of photography. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it was black and white photos that I would take and develop and print myself and all that. And I did that for many years, um, up through probably 2005, six, seven. I don't, I don't know when I made the change, but um, yeah, I was just, yeah, I, I got interested in um, representational painting and observational drawing and that sort of thing. And uh, Well, your work doesn't really escape technique. Like it's uh, clearly you, you know what you're doing. Were you always gifted at drawing or, you know, I, yeah, was no, it something I, I, I certainly had a facility for it, no question. But um, I, um, yeah, I, I, it's, I, it's, it's certainly something I'm inclined towards, but I've put a lot of time into to work on it as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's only been in the last couple of, you know, last five, six years that I, I sort of reached a point where I was satisfied with the, that as a means to an end in a way. And then started bringing in um, other components. There's been there's been a collage element in the past, and there's been an interest with um, sort of uh, simultaneous painting approaches taking place on one canvas. But that's gotten a lot more pronounced sort of recently. Yeah, and I think it's it's in part a liberation from that kind of um, longstanding interest in. And sort of trying to render something and, and make it look as plausible as as it as you think it should or you think it could. And a pretty, it sounds like a pretty direct conversation with photography, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Were you using but, but, your own photos, or were you often using? Because uh, obviously, in stuff you're doing now, you're they're probably not all your photos. Right, right. Fewer and fewer. Yeah. Um, now the, the sort of yeah no. The, so the, the to back it up the. Um, the photography was something that was always there, but I, I was sort of taught to be a little bit ashamed of that. The, the, the kind of um, attitude towards drawing from photography at Myco at the time I was there was that it was, it was essentially cheating that if you were going to draw from a photograph, why not just take the photograph? And then if you were going to draw, you should be drawing from life. Right. Um, so there was kind of like a, a, an old school belief there. And so, so a lot of the pictures that I would take and draw from um, I sort of had the, these rules that I established that if it was a if it was a black and white photograph and if it was um, if I was generating the, my own color and if the picture wasn't didn't have too many of the hallmarks of photography mm -hmm. that um, you know that that was sort of acceptable. It's hard to shake that, right? Isn't it funny the shame of using yeah, a photograph? Yeah, I've had so many rules over the years that are, that are, that are just so arbitrary and so right? a reflection of this conditioning and but it's it, like your parents telling you you know you have to eat at the dinner table or like some yep. sort of specific thing 
that you might not have agreed with, but it just sticks in you like a bug. Totally, totally. <laughs> no, it's uh, absolutely. I, I remember in school, a prominent art critic yeah. that we all know was you know, walking around and, and I think after the <laughs> critiques gave a talk about how um, photography just ruins artwork. Anyone mm. using photography yeah. in a clear and present way. Oh, this way. is, you're talking, you must be talking about Carrie Pepper, uh, the famous critic. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, I've heard, I've read these laments still. Um, yeah, he also doesn't care for blenders. And I, I, I like a lot of what he has to say, um, but I can, I can imagine. This was that, someone else. Coming out. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was. Oh. Else. I'm not going to name the name, but anyway, they were. You know, they were like basically. This is photography is where invention goes to die. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like it's it's robbing. Yeah. You know what what the power of painting. Yeah. Or sculpting what it should right, be. Basically, right. 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 Which is, you know, it took me a while to to sort of navigate my feelings, in relation to that. Comment, yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Because I, to, in an ex, to an extent. On the surface, that's true in a way. I mean, you know, you are depending structurally on an image, right? Instead right. of just, you know, like inventing everything, which yeah. has its. But it depends on what you're trying to say and how you're trying to say it. Of absolutely. Course. But it absolutely. takes a while to to get that voice out of your head. You yeah, know? totally. The totally. Shame. Totally. Now, yeah. students, they. C- I can't like imagine what using, it's like. Oh, they don't. They Rules? could care less about looking. I mean, you walk through studios nowadays, and yeah. it's like everyone's got their laptop open. People are painting from iPhones with like a two inch by two inch screen. Right, and, right, right, you know, right, right. And and if you question it, you're the, you get a look like you know what? Uh, uh, you know? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Like I, references are just, you know, they're there. Yeah. But it makes sense. That's part of the way we see now. The same way with music. We hear through yeah. the reference of all this other music that we've heard, you know. It's yeah, like yeah. People aren't coming to the game, you know. With a clean slate. With the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Totally, totally. No, I, I think of that a lot. Um, and you see, you know, to go back to the music thing, it's, um, I'm sure this is discussed to death, probably in graduate school or something, but, um, yeah, sampling, you know. Yeah. Hip-hop, all that. I mean, right. it's like they got there first. Yeah. Uh, and it's just plain and you know the visual arts kind of catching up there but it's always been that way right just you know rock and roll was the blues yeah the yeah. blues was folk yeah we're all standing on the shoulders of giants right and it's it's all just thinly um uh, it's just slightly changed and altered to to fit a different audience but it's great that those slight changes are so exciting yeah they're meaningful and they, and they do and and that's why this argument is hogwash that that um to paint from a photograph, there's no merit there because right. obviously there is, and it's just the old guard. Not, it's just people trying to champion their own training, right? Know, resistance to change, that sort of thing. Yeah. So the the whole time in school, you're pretty representational, straightforward painting. Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And at that time, it was sort of it felt like there was kind of three camps um, that were in the painting department, and that was um, you know the coolest kids were doing video work. Um, of course. The second coolest <laughs> kids were doing sort of either hard edge abstraction or color field painting, I guess. What were the two acceptable abstraction modes at that point? Yeah, like I, there was the like nouveau, two. The nouveau color field. It was something. I, I certainly felt a little bit. I think I think I think representational work does sometimes get, um, and oftentimes rightly so, sort of um, thought of diminished in a in a. Um, in a intellectual way, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like the, it, it's, 
um, people are sort of a little suspicious of it sometimes, and that's fine. Um, but I, I definitely felt some of those things, and I don't know if I was inventing it or it was really there. But um, yeah, so that was my time at Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And uh, were you? Uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, your work makes me want to ask the question: Were you into film and like watching a lot of movies or TV, or were you into narrative, figurative? You know, I really, I loved the term narrative and I wanted to understand what that mean. And I kept, all roads sort of seemed to point towards Eric Fischel. And at that time, it was so hard to get much information. We had like a library um, that was, that had like a, a, an interview book on him with a, like an Avedon portrait on the cover or something. I, I remember reading it cover to cover and, and like just hoping that somehow I was going to get the answers. Um, to what this narrative painting was. And it was, you would hear things talked about that, like, and David Sally was certainly popular um, in and around the school at that time. And I guess it was, I was there in the 90s, so a lot of the 80s New York scene was recent enough to be um, recorded and documented in books and stuff. Um, But I didn't, I I didn't, I was still um, a ways off from, from learning how to use uh, film stills or take any kind of appropriated imagery. Mm-hmm. I, I liked movies, but I, I feel like I came, I feel, I've sort of always felt like I've come to things a little bit late. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm sort of better with it now, I guess. But you were looking at painting, like, you know, recent painting history as kind of like a, maybe a key unlocking some of the ideas that were floating around. Certainly, certainly. See, that's why I'm not that great of a painter, because I wasn't even looking at painting. <laughs> I was yeah. like reading books on Buckminster Fuller, oh, and right. I thought for some reason that was going to give me the, 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 the conceptual the, edge. Yeah, yeah. Or at least to learn the sleep patterns that made him so productive. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. And were you reading other things too, besides, you know, were you into poetry or... I, um, I really like listening to music. I really like just kind of putting the hours in. Um, music in the studio? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean like, I, I'm not a musician, but, like, in terms of what was I reading, I went through the the, the beatnik phase. You know, I, it was pretty predictable, I think. Um, then I tried to get through a lot of the classics sort of later. But the things that were influencing me most at that time were... Um, you know, I came under the spell of Richter right there at the end of my undergraduate program, and that kind of opened my eyes to a little bit of what painting might be, or how you, how you, I think manipulation and distortion were things that always interested me, um, a kind of intoxicated perception of things. I knew that uh, I liked representational work, but I also could become quite bored by it, and the academic kind of rendering was wasn't what I was after, but yeah, it was sort of, you know, it's a lot of searching. I really like that idea of um, distortion. I never thought of that in relation to painting. Yeah. Because it kind of looks like the portraits that you did for this show kind of might have been put through a flange pedal, you know? Is that like a, a guitar effect? Yeah, like a flanger where it goes up and down. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, there's, there's, there's I never thought of that before. waviness, for sure. Distortion with painting. Yeah, yeah. You could write an essay on that. The Somebody should. It won't because, be me. <laughs> well, listen to uh, Sonic Youth. That guitar, Dude, the whammy bar is, on that thing is going nuts the that, whole time. I'm going to I mean, it sounds, I'm, um, I don't know if it sounds cliche or not, but I, 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 listen, I encountered Sonic Youth at, at this point in my life, this formative teen year or something, but I actually um, 
really thought a lot about representation the way I thought about Sonic Youth, which was that they made melody in the course of this sort of, dis through this discordant kind of um, distorted guitar work. And I, don't, I think that music probably sounds very digestible at this point, but somehow in, when I heard it for the first time in the late 80s and early 90s, it, it was pretty radical to my ear. And I just, I liked that idea so much. And, you know, I think then when um, a band like Animal Collective kind of comes around, they're mm -hmm. kind of like the next ones to push it in that kind of, for me at least, like that that next, like, what can sound be and what can, how can melody operate within uh, these these noises that we're less familiar with. Yeah. So it's I always a great relationship, though, I think, music, because it's unencumbered by, like, art history or anything. You know what I mean? It's just Yeah, no, absolutely. You direct. hear it in your ear the same way. I mean, I look at something and I like it or I don't. I don't, I don't often, I, I have been sort of less interested in asking myself why and mm -hmm. just more enjoying the pleasure of, of what I see or what I hear. That's a pretty uh, serendipitous combination, though, because the sonic youth, the distortion, the wobbliness of it. Yeah. The Richter painting and the blurriness yeah, and kind yeah, of like yeah. distortion Absolutely. of that image. And his abstractions yep. with the wobble and the interruption and distortion of yep, those. Yep, yep. I mean, that must have been a trifecta that just made you feel like, yep, I'm doing the right thing. It, it felt like definitely territory to, to explore, no question. That's all we need, you know, is that little bit of license to get excited about. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I was in grad school, I was listening to that early electronic melodic stuff. Yeah. So it was kind of like... You know, because I got into electronic music, like abstract stuff. Mm -hmm. And I loved like Autechre and Oval and things like that. They yeah. were like glitchy or distortion-y. Yep, yep. But then people like Mouse on Mars came out and it was more melodic. So it's playful. Yeah. But it was using the, the, the sort of, you know, tech as a medium. Mm -hmm. But it was still kind of like a band situation. Yeah. To me, that's what my paintings were at the time. You yeah. Know, they were the combination of that stuff. So I remember doing open school open studios in grad school playing that Mouse on Mars record over and over just on loop for people so nice. I'm like see do you get it uh -huh, this is related uh -huh, to that uh -huh. you know yeah. just trying to give it another level of, of you know of reference to right context and yeah. see how it, yeah like the same thing that you're doing yeah yeah I've always admired that about music you don't have to I mean, you just kind of it doesn't seem to at least non-classical music seems to sort of be permitted to kind of exist as its own thing without a ton of, I guess people talk about it more these days, but I've always found the, the discussion around the visual arts to be challenging um, as, as compared to sort of experiencing them personally or making them. Yeah. It's always been a, I think a lot of people talk about that, people that make paintings. There seems to be people that are good at talking about paintings and people that are good at making paintings and not often both. Yeah. So well, it's just the visual media. I think also relies more heavily on the visual past, or pe when people talk about it, they want to put it through the filter. Mm -hmm. Whereas with music, I think you hear it, but it's less talked about. Maybe yeah, it's just more primal in some sort of way, you know. For sure. So it's like, oh yeah, this sounds like the blues mixed with like you know dub mixed with Creole, but yep. you don't really talk about it. You just listen. <laughs> And it's it's great nowadays too with like a lot of hip hop. They're mixing so much stuff in there. Oh yeah, you know where you'll get sort of like, you know, like a so much music outside of the U.S. You know, kind of like global music influence just thrown in there. But yeah. it, it adds something totally different to it. But you don't have to talk about it. You know what I mean? 
Right. And yeah. You just dance to it. Yep. Yep. And if you want to talk about it, you just go to Rap Genius and they'll tell you all about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like the uh, Who Sampled What or He Sampled Who or whatever. It's like the YouTube thing where you type in, this, you know, diggable planets and it'll show you every song that they did where they sampled other people. And I, I got to see that. that. Yeah. to those tracks. Oh, that's great. Uh, I spent hours and hours and hours <laughs> doing that stuff. I could see that. The wormhole. Yeah. So when you're getting ready to graduate, is your, is your work, I mean, is it close to where we are now? Or it like, was, it was um, portraits at the time. And um, in some ways, I guess it's still, it, it is kind of, it's sort of, I, I I've been making it long enough now that I kind of see the, the cycles a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, there seems to be a couple of recurring themes that get revisited. And um, at that time, it was portraits of friends, but at that they were sort of operating just as an opportunity to kind of push the pain around to the extent that, um, you know, combine that kind of rendering with that, that sort of smeared surface and just an earlier sort of more conservative version of that. Mm-hmm. When I happened upon the, these old enough to be my mother paintings, the, that sort of motif of the, of the 60s beauty against the flat ground, that kind of was like the, what the recipe needed, you know, mm-hmm. where you, it could, you could push that distortion more because the face is so identifiable and because they're sort of heavily made up hairstyles yeah exaggerated sort of things um that was that was uh, a chance to to let the paint further just be the paint Mm -hmm. and and uh push that a little further was i mean nostalgia is part of those paintings because or anyone who's yeah yeah absolutely and i think it's it's a a big for you like, is that a big ingredient in the paintings? Is the the nostalgia that people will have for that kind of imagery? I I have an affinity for 60s style, and I don't know exactly why. I will say that um, I remember being a kid, and my sis, I was four years younger than my sister, and I remember seeing a family portrait of um, my mom and my dad and my sister and thinking, oh, man, I'm, I'm late to the party. And my mom had one of those, like, 60s, style haircuts and uh, I always that sort of longing was there Mm -hmm. and I think you know growing up in the 70s there were traces of that 60s aesthetic that were sort of left over and again that same kind of feeling of like oh that's when it was that's when it was good like everybody that moves to New York oh you just missed it by five years you know used to be (laughs) yeah oh no now it sucks (laughs) that's it's over it's over yeah Uh, so that same sort of that's part of it for sure um, but I do like older I, I like older imagery as well just because of um, I've increasingly become interested in um, different times or different just the, the the how much different certain types of photography can be and how you can identify things from it um, like Kodachrome versus other things and the coloring um, and just how those are, are place markers and and I like the idea that I think when those photographs were new, that people felt that they were looking at a facsimile of reality, mm-hmm. but that it, indeed we've seen so many different versions of that now. Yeah. That there's still a lot of flexibility there. Right. So did you uh, did you just pile them all into a U-Haul and drive straight to New York after you graduated, or did you take time there? Or? I did a year after in Baltimore, and I worked at the school uh, at their maintenance department, which was kind of like this this place where. <laughs> we're like 
I don't know. It was like this this island of broken toys, or you know, whatever that what that metaphor is. But it was a, it was a collection of characters and people yeah. that had graduated like 20 years ago and never left. Right. And, um, they all had names, and they, it was it was a it was kind of a fun place. Um, so yeah, I did a year in Baltimore, and then I moved up to New York with a buddy, and we moved. Um, we we came up and picked up a, a Village Voice. Looked in the back, saw exactly one apartment, which was a loft in Bushwick took it and and moved in built it out and i ended up staying there for 10 years what year was that that you moved that was here? 2000 2000 yeah bushwick in 2000 yeah it was not bushwick of 2017 no no <laughs> decidedly <laughs> different yeah decidedly different uh and we saw some things there too i'm trying to think i used to whatever we don't need to make it all about war yeah, stories yeah, yeah. but uh right I'm sure you saw lots of beautiful things on the streets <laughs> Many, as well. many, many beautiful things. <laughs> like, like the cost of rent was beautiful. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it was nice. So did you live, work, same place? Yep, yep. And I started, I, I moved here and uh, I had like a thousand bucks and I went to buy some canvas at Pearl Paint on Canal Street and I, was, mm -hmm. I ended up filling out an application there kind of on a whim and was there for six years, uh, just sort of like part time. And I was always selling you know, I would do a portrait or something on a commission here and there, mm -hmm. and I would make a sale here and there, and I had little, you know, I was always kind of offsetting things a bit. Um, and then I think in 2006, I was in a, a group show that went well. Maybe I did a solo show, it's 2006 or 2008, and, um, you know, I was able to, it was, it was a good time to be making paintings and showing yeah. them as we were getting gobbled up. Yeah. And uh, so I... I was able to stop and just go full-time with that for a bit and that was that was nice yeah um when you first started showing your work you said you had a group show i mean were you showing in one specific place or were you just i showed a lot at this gallery called rare which was oh, on yeah, 26th street and like they started out with zach foyer and like those they were they were kind of sort of represent a lot of the people from hunter mm -hmm. and uh yeah they had they had kind of like that that San Francisco aesthetic for a bit. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they had a really nice space on 26th street for a time. And I was there, I did three shows with them. Uh, then they moved up to 27th street and things kind of winded down. That's when they were in the, were they in the basement? There or? It was a ground floor and there was a, there was a basement space below it. It was like a little bit of a split level. Team used to be in that space. Team was they? team was just to the left of it, and they were on the ground. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And it was it's so funny to think of where team is now because right? it's such a big institution. Yeah. Wait. So did Rare didn't they have a space on Fourteenth Street though? They stayed. They started. Yeah. And that was a I saw a show of a guy named Pet. I believe he was an LA artist who did these small paintings of clouds. Okay. I think that was the only show I saw there, but I remember. Then going, it must have been right before they moved because I saw, you know, a bunch of shows in that Chelsea space. Yeah. No, I, I know they had like this meatpacking, long, narrow space. It was mm -hmm. on 14th Street back so. when that grocery store was still there and all that business. Um, so you, you cut your teeth in that space and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It was a beautiful space. And I made a, a number of, I like making big paintings and I made a lot of bigger paintings back then. Um, and uh, yeah, it was great. So did you, at that point, were you also doing some landscapes? Because like in this show that, you know, you have a couple, well, I guess the one, that one in the back left is a landscape, but, you know, were you doing other than figurative work? It was, it was uh, very narrative driven, that first show I did with them. Mm -hmm. And it was, it all centered around this, um, 
this female character with a blonde wig that was kind of dressed up and running around in the woods and kind of had all this, you know, sort of loose end narrative stuff with elements of the supernatural and sort of bringing in some of these like 70s um, special effect type things. Uh, and it, yeah, it was, it was like these bigger horizontal formatted. It, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it exactly cinematic, but it was certainly, certainly very narrative driven mm-hmm. and, um, had like a seventies thing going on with it. So those were more cinematic. What were you, what were you influenced by? What was the shift to the more, you know, cinematic narrative? Bigger I'll be scale? honest. I was, I was, I was kind of groping around. I had this skill set and I had all the desire in the world. Um, but I didn't go to graduate school, and I was just kind of getting my own education, marching through Chelsea every weekend, mm-hmm. and um, taking it in. Yeah, and I saw Dana Schutz's first show. Frank uh, was it the Frank exactly, one? Yeah. exactly, and I was like, "That's what you do. You construct a narrative, mm-hmm. and and that's a way to organize a group of paintings." Like right. I, I was just looking for a model, mm-hmm. and um, that was my solution. And so I built this this narrative around a singular character at this mine was like this it was my girlfriend at the time dressed in a blonde wig and a green jacket running around in the woods mm-hmm. and um yeah i just took that i took my kind of my cue from that and and tried to build my own world and i did and the, there was a liars album out at the time that i was really influenced by mm-hmm. um and it had like this if, I can't remember which one it was called, but it had like a song like if you if she's a witch she can't drown it was like kind of, that kind of dark right um, not horror, but it could be like it had yeah, that yeah, exactly. Like weird things that happen in the woods, from Walt Disney to slasher films. This is probably the year the Ring came out, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been. I don't know. I, Way I after Blair Witch, though, which was yeah. I didn't see any of that stuff, but yeah, I don't. I I, I have a low threshold for horror films. Um, me too. And I went to see. <laughs> That uh, Blair Witch. Yeah, I went to see it in the theater when I was at Skowhegan, uh-huh. and my studio was out in the middle of oh, nowhere no. in the woods. It was right, man. Yeah, I bet. I, I was bet. scared shitless the second <laughs> half of the, the second half of the residency. I was like oh. afraid, and I would work all night, and no oh. one else was in my studio building late. Okay, I always, I, I've never been out there, but I always, the story I always hear is that it's just like some uh, can be like this is big party. You know? Yeah, well, I don't really know. I mean, it's been since 99 since I've been there. I'm right. sure it's changed a bit. Yeah. But yeah, it was just, you know, you just have fun, make yeah. work, and, yeah. and socialize. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. You get a studio out in like a cow pasture. Yeah, awesome. I've had some, I've had some friends that have gone, and uh, it always sounds like a, it's been a really kind of an important experience for them. It's amazing, too, how many people who I, like Dana was mm-hmm. one, like classmates that I, mm. classmates, um, you know, people who were there when I was there, yeah. who are still here making work. And I feel like it's more than the people I graduated graduate school with. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's serious there. And we, I had, like, Tom Friedman, John awesome. Waters. And oh, wow. Lorraine O'Grady, Suzanne McClellan, Byron Kent. Like, really great people mm. when I was there. That is, it was such a fun experience. Yeah. Have, have you had um, situations where you really got a lot from somebody like mentors oh yeah yeah lots awesome yeah in diff- in such different ways you know yeah like uh with someone like tom friedman we would share electronic music and talk awesome. about that which is i don't know how that fed my artwork at all but um 
you know, totally different. But then someone like Mel Bachner, who was like really analytical and yeah. great kind of like cutting criticism of like, oh, yeah. why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? He's so dry. Yeah. It was a really good other kind of influence, you know? Yeah. And sometimes you'll get artists who, you know, just are sort of excited by what you're doing and mm-hmm. that gives you fuel. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think it's all good. Even yeah. the people who come in and tell you, you know, I'm sure I told the story before, but when I was in undergraduate school, there was a visiting artist from Chicago. I'd never heard of him. Yeah. And I still don't remember who the guy was, but yeah. he was, I was having a bad week. And I said, right. you know when you have a bad week? I've had them. Yeah. yeah. And you're looking at a painting and you're like, what, what am I doing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So he came in that day uh, and I was like, yeah, I just, I don't know. He's like, well, look, man, it, it might not be for you. Oh. Yeah. He basically told me to quit. Yeah. I, you know? I, I kind of sometimes you wonder if you should, people shouldn't say that more. Like, you, like you're selling the lie, and it's if you good. can't if you can't bounce back from that, yeah, maybe maybe it's not. Isn't that it? Like if you're not strong enough to to take the hits, then you're probably not going to stay in the game. Yeah, you, you know you, what I mean. Yeah, you're gonna have to toughen up something. Right. Like when people ask you, you know, or if people ask you, yeah. you know, how, well, how do you do? You just move to New York and do it, you know, or like. If they're scared of the city or yeah. can't be social enough to meet people right. and kind of like find a way to make it work, then yeah. it's probably not the right destination. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a couple roads in, but um, it's it's it is hard to give a, a definitive answer to what that path is. And, right. And um, but you gotta want it. You definitely got to You got to want it big time. You yeah. got to want it big time, or you have to have be fortunate to be in the right place in the right time and have the right kind of. You know, there there are people there are people that get to sort of backdoor it in. Um, right. But then, you know, you've also got, once you get in, getting in is kind of the easy part. Staying in is the, the real test. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, anyone can show up at the dance. <laughs> exactly. happens when the lights go out. Yeah, it's not easy. I always think, I, I think it must be um, similar in Hollywood. You know what I mean? There's so many people out there ch- oh, yeah. trying to just get a gig or just yeah. be yeah. able to share what they can do. You know what I mean? And right. so many different levels of people. People have been studying forever. People who just showed up and was like, hey, what can I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's, there's, no, there's no answer of how it gets done. But you definitely have to have the drive. That's, that's yeah, that's definitely got to be there. And like you're saying, you could get in a door, but to, to sustain, you have to have that drive. Yeah. And this city has a great way of sort of wringing that drive out of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wears yeah. you down. It does. It's a trick. One way or another. But yeah. it's such a great place. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about what your your current show, you know, yeah. in relation to, I guess, shows past and what you're doing moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I'm... It's really exciting for me to see because I've seen your portraits before and I, you know, like I'm familiar with like how you're breaking or not break, well, distorting, it's a great Mm -hmm. word, distorting the surface and that, you know, the landscape that you did, if it's cool, I'll post pictures on the website so people know what we're talking about, but you know, the landscape one with this sort of face-like abstraction on top of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, that's so, I think I've, I've been um, kind of honing in on and recognizing one of the kind of um, driving interests of mine is um, sort of competing themes and, and contradiction. And so for that painting, I mean, it's really, um, it's it's the this immediate contradiction within this sanded, smooth landscape, and then that really thick, um, sort of simply painted face. 
Um, and there's also elements of hum- like humor is kind of a part that's that's um, become more interesting to me. I used to think a lot of the paintings in the past have been sort of serious, but there's been touches of humor, but I've been trying to amplify the, the humorous component. And in that painting, it's titled Enough to Base a Movie on, which is a, a, a very knowing um, nod to a Jim Morrison quote. Mm-hmm. And Jim Morrison um, just doesn't get any respect as a, as a poet or a musician. I think probably rightly so, but mm-hmm. it's just funny to me to because there's such a tradition of of quoting high art and high poetry, to um, to make a Jim Morrison quote for a title that just pleases me. Um, <laughs> there's humor in the show title too. Yeah, old enough to be my mother. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's that it's uh, that tension and that sort of mischievous wink. That's, right. That's definitely that's a yeah that's a part of my personality, and I think that uh, I like that to be a part of the work as well. And desire maybe forbidden or you know kind yeah. of yeah illicit forbidden mischievous all that no question yeah. and then the other large-scale painting you're doing a lot of you know inscribing into the paint and drawing and it's almost you know uh, postmodern in a way you know what I mean of yeah like it's adding a, images over images and yep totally yeah no there's a lot it's kind of and that's that kind of collage element has is one of these elements that sort of cycles through and, and this is kind of like the next this is the latest and most kind of um, advanced version of it but yeah that that inclination to combine uh, sort of disparate imagery and and animals and people and um, different painting surfaces has been there this one's getting uh, you sort of have like the primary ground that gets painted and then sanded and then reoriented and then there's an accumulation of text that's both sort of scratched into and painted on top of, and you have some kind of Rita Ackerman-esque moments, and um, it's also, and then and then you've got kind of this grounding element that's this painted monkey that um, sort of reorients the canvas and operates as kind of a, a stand-in for the viewer and, and a place to kind of relax and collect yourself. Um, yeah, I think also, a painting like that kind of performs both um, up close and at a distance in two sort of very different ways, and I find that kind of uh, a very interesting mm-hmm. idea and, and thing to do. Um, and there's just a lot of a lot of kind of buried text and writing on top of each other, and there's there's a lot of um, yeah, just information there. It and keeps you in the in the painting longer as an individual painting, I think. Because the portraits, they're serial, so it's like once you look at a few, you can kind of, you get a rhythm of it. Absolutely. And you can kind of move, and then you step back and you're left with the whole of the the collective, basically. Yeah. And I think a painting like that pulls you in, you know, into that painting longer in a different way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now you can come back and back to that. And also just because it's, they're just, it's very open-ended. Uh, a lot of the imagery is, it's it it gets along there together. It occupies the same pace, same space, correctly. But mm-hmm. um, why it's organized that way is less clear. And it's not it's not certainly not clear to me either. There's a, and that's a good combination of kind of um, an intuitive way of working as well as a kind of predetermined way. Yeah. And um, yeah, I like that idea a lot. Sort of exploring, um, letting chance play its play its role mm-hmm. whereas with the the old enough to be my mother portrait paintings those are those are pretty pretty well um, 
figure it out. You know, yeah. you're kind there's of, like a map for it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something very satisfying about that. And there's something very pleasing about having a continuum. And if you were to see them over the course of the years that I've been working on them, you can, there are certainly um, changes and, and, and the series remains interesting. I, re I continue to make the paintings because they, they do change and there, there are interesting things that still take place. Yeah. Um, the retrospective will show. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and what are you listening to when you're working on these? In the studio lately, uh, let's think. Um, I'm definitely the, the kind of the last big band that really blew my mind was definitely Death Grips, and uh, do not know them. Oh, uh, they're something else. Is it as heavy as it sounds like it would be? Yeah, it's it's real. It's it is, but it's like this fusion of it's it's like hip hop and I don't know. I, I don't want to use the word metal or something like that, but it's definitely high energy. Yeah, um, and it's it's. Um, I, I don't, it's one of those types of bands that's difficult to articulate. And if you, if you try to play them on Spotify or some music service, you, you're not going to find like a genre that they fit very neatly within. Right. But it's a lot of glitch stuff and like just a, a lot of sort of noise and, and high intensity. Um, I'm looking for that band that when you go on Spotify, related artists, there are no related artists. <laughs> <laughs> They'll fill it in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I've been listening to that. And so, I mean, um, I came to MF Doom in the last couple of years. I mm -hmm. missed that the first time around. Yeah, um, I missed MF Doom. Good Wait, is lyrics, hip-hop. Related to Mad Villain? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all that or stuff. Or maybe is, I did listen to MF Doom. He goes by Metal Face. He's right. anything Doom. Um, he has a lot of different kind of iterations. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I've been putting... Yeah, I don't, I, I'm so lazy now. There's so much music, and Spotify does so much of the thinking for you. That um, I kind of just let it roll sometimes, yeah. and, and yet you forget what you're even listening to. It's nice though. I yeah, mean, it's people great. complain about it, but you know the, I, the I or the algorithms, you know. Yeah, but it's kind of nice. I I've reached a place where I'm very happy with it. Right. Um, yeah, and there's just so much, just so many different things. It's it's so rich, you know. Yeah, it's nice, and you not you don't have to. I guess all the time thing evens out, but I remember going to record stores and really having to dig or like talk to, you know, okay, what do I, I'm into this. How do I find this? And yeah. it's like, you know, order a record and it comes in two weeks later. And <laughs> it was, it was very satisfying when you got it right, but right. it took a lot of energy and it was, it was that kind of, you know, yeah, I, that time has come and gone and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I like the new, like this morning is a great example. I woke up and I'm cooking breakfast for my son. Yeah. And he's at the table waiting and then the heater kicked on. Mm. So the heat is on kicked into my the head. The heat is on. And I went from Miles Davis to uh -huh. on Spotify, Glenn nice. Fry, Belial's awesome. cop theme, the heat <laughs> awesome. is on. I was really proud of myself and yeah. I was like smiling and yeah. he just could care less. Uh, <laughs> I was like, get it? Do you see what I did there? Yeah, and he's exactly. like, just give me the breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> It's wasted. The convenience and immediacy is wasted on you. Kids today. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, man, I just whipped that out. And I just went back to Miles Davis. Huh? That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, it's pretty good stuff. So for people who, the show's up until when? Uh, February 3rd. February 3rd? Yeah. We have a two-day overlap. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, you open the first? First, Friday. yeah. yeah. Someone awesome. could go out on Saturday and catch both shows. Whoa, a twofer. A deep cut. 
if, if people are really into <laughs> this. If you made it this far, <laughs> <laughs> just put it on your Google Maps. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's still the third. And, yep. uh, and the gallery is on the fifth floor. Yeah, it's right. the it's the old Romeo space. If that means anything, I don't know. They want me to say it that way, but yeah, they just they just expanded. Um, they have a second. Sp- this is their second space, but I guess their primary space now. Mm-hmm. They have a ground floor space, I think, on Orchard. Um, but this has just been opened in the last couple of months. It's a nice space. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, nice and big. Very happy to be here. And then your online presence. You're on Instagram. Yep, I'm on. Yep, I'm on Instagram. Nathan Ritterpush at Nathan Ritterpush. Um, and I post there pretty often. Uh, I, I have a website, but I, I don't do anything with it. it. Just I think it's it's like a, a landing page that just rotates right. and kicks you to uh, Instagram. That seems to be the theme of, of you know websites these days. You know, yeah, here's some stuff that I put on here a while ago. I mean, just me too, <laughs> but check check yeah. Instagram or something. It's sort of like you have to, you're supposed to have one, but I, I don't know. I don't. But you're active on Instagram. Oh, yeah. And big uh, time. didn't yeah. you post from Catherine's show, Catherine Murphy? I, I don't know her or that work at all. I oh, saw she's it. She's one I of my favorite teachers. Oh, I couldn't she's believe amazing. it. Yeah, it looks incredible. Yeah, you got to check out that show. Yeah, it's close by here, too. It is. Maybe, Maybe today. We should go after. I love that idea. All right. Yeah, awesome. Let's wrap this up and get over Let's there. Let's do it. Let's do it. So they can check out your stuff on Instagram and yeah. then this shows up until February. Yeah, February 3rd. Yep. What's the exact address, the gallery information? 90 Ludlow Street. 90 Ludlow. Fifth floor. Fifth floor. Yep. Come on by. Awesome. Great, great, to, great to see the show. Thanks yeah, for having thanks, me. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thank cool. you. Sound and Vision was conceived, produced, recorded, edited, mastered, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find images that I take from the podcast sessions by going to the images page on the website soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find even more images on the podcast Instagram feed at Sound and Vision Podcast. If you love hearing these artists speak about their life and work, please support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. It's also available on Stitcher and Google Play. You can even donate to help support the podcast by clicking the donate button on the webpage. The introduction and accompanying music was generously provided by Michael Lovett. Michael records as Nazca Lines and also Moonlights in the band Metronomy. The bio and outro music were provided by Sean Seymour. Sean and his wife Yoshimi are a band called Lullatone based in Nagoya, Japan. Thanks to them and also Jacob Tutu and Logan Takahashi who have also lent music to the podcast. Thanks to all the listeners who share and support the podcast. All this is done by myself without funding and ads, and it really is you all who help spread the word, and you spread it well. Many thanks to all of you and all the artists for sharing their stories and time with me.